It's hard to feel free when the world is crashing down around us and we're shut up in our homes practicing social distancing. But you don't have to feel trapped. You can write your way to freedom. Welcome to the Right Away Podcast. Good morning, friends. I'm your host, Chris Kane, and this is episode 11 of the Right Away Podcast. It is September 15th, 2020, as I record this, and I believe it has been three weeks since my last episode. I fully intended to have one available for you last week, this actual episode. It was ready to go, but I couldn't even spare the time to record this intro. I was in deep deadline mode, but I'm happy to report that I completed a romance book with my uh, writing partner, and it's in editing now. Um, What is new in my life? lots of thinking as always and I am considering writing a solo series in this co-written romance world. One of the things I have realized and this was in uh, a deep dive class on intellection through Becca Symes is that I really miss having my old ways of thinking time And that's been hard for all of us as we're still in the midst of COVID and I'm used to going out to cafes, I'm used to having places to bike to, I don't really care to bike for no reason, but I used to have more places to bike to and from. And even further back than that, I really miss having a car. I have had a car twice in the last seven years, both of those times when I was in the States and never more than six months of car time in my life and I borrow cars from family and friends all that good stuff but I have never owned a car in Costa Rica and for the first time ever last month I rented a car and then I rented a car again for my birthday so I could zoom zoom uh, up and down the beach and go to different beaches and have quiet time so I have a new little mini goal um, to buy a car which means money and I have some savings goals. There's a lot of life that would settle down with a little bit of extra income. So as much as I really want to focus on joyriding instead of uh, work writing, I am making the choice to continue to focus on work writing and actually go a little harder into it rather than trying to split my time. So we'll see how that goes. I What else have I done? I've actually recorded a couple of other episodes of interviews. So I have three episodes recorded, showing I have absolutely no consistent plan for this podcast, but I am enjoying myself, and I hope you are too. Exciting news for me, I ordered an iPad Pro this week. I have really started to chafe at being stuck at a desktop and it's been hurting my productivity um, in ways that surprised me. I thought I would actually be more productive having a place to come to and be like, this is where I work every day. And it just hasn't. I don't know if it's just the ergonomics of my particular situation, which are difficult to change right now, or I just don't like being stuck. And so I have been wanting to order an iPad Pro for a while. And with this, just the difficulties, um, normally I go back to the States 
to visit family. And while I'm there, I make all my big purchases because particularly with electronics in Costa Rica, there is a 30% import tax. So instead of paying a thousand dollars for an iPad, you're paying 1300, which is not awesome, but I was willing to do it if I had to. Thankfully, I did not have to. Um, there's a, a person who is coming from the States now that uh, the borders have opened up to air travel from certain states in the U.S. And so I'm having them bring down a good bit of stuff for me. Um, so some of the things that surprised me why I hated being stuck at the desk was I still have pain days from inflammation um, and Sitting at a desk chair, a proper desk chair, helps a lot, but it does not keep me from being in pain. And I am used to being able to lay on my back in bed and type without seeing the screen. I have tried to replicate that with dictating into my phone, and that does work occasionally, but it's I need to practice dictation more. It is a really good tool to have in your pocket in case of injury, in case of repetitive strain, in case of just body pain, and I have not been practicing it, so that's my fault. Um, The other thing is, since they cut my poor little tree down in front of my house, well, I mean, granted, half of it fell, the other half they cut down for safety. That was my shade, and that happened not quite a year ago. But now it's really hot where my desk is. And the last few days have been ridiculous. Like the temperature's only been in the 80s and 90s, which is kind of normal. But the heat index, the the degree has been like, oh, it feels like it's 114, 104. And I just have not wanted to be anywhere near any extra heat, which my upstairs is, turns into a little cooker. Um, And I realized how much freedom I felt having a portable writing device again when a dear friend allowed me to borrow her Microsoft Surface so that I could finish this book because I couldn't sit at my desk unless it was really late at night and I pass out between 8 and 10 every night. So that was quite difficult, finding that time and being awake. But with borrowing her little surface, I could write downstairs, and it was lovely. And moving from place to place is a tool that I have used in the past to reset my mental focus. And it's going to be really nice to have that back again. When I'm having difficulty thinking in one space, I can move to another, whether it's in my house and I move to my bed or I move downstairs or simply to my couch, which is three feet behind me. I just really like that I'm gonna have more options. I have some really good expectations of this enhancing my productivity. And I plan on using it to get back in art. I'm pretty minimalist and so I've resisted adding a lot of art supplies to my inventory and I used to paint and draw so much. So I'm hoping this helps scratch that art itch in some really healthy ways. 
So my last item on my update is Amazon has come up with a new feature for book clubs. And I don't know if some of you have seen this, but they just kind of popped it up and haven't really done anything with it. The implementation's pretty terrible, to be honest, but I really love the idea. I've actually never been part of a book club, but that hasn't stopped me from starting my own. My plan is to pick a book every month um, and finishing our first book, which is Techniques of the Selling Writer, mostly as an encouragement to myself to finish this book, by November 4th. That's a little extra time because this particular book is really dense. It has so much information. How I envision it working is this. We'll pick a book every month after this, finishing that first book by November 6th. I'll grab a few friends and we'll record our discussion and share it on the podcast. And then you listeners will be able to join in on the conversation in the comments. That's a work in progress. If anyone has suggestions for managing it better, please do put it in the comments of this episode. And if you like more information, check the show notes. I'm going to have an email list and you can sign up. So this week on the podcast, I did things a little differently. It is an interview, but I'm the one being interviewed. I realized a few weeks ago that I haven't shared my getting started story in full. And I wondered why that was because normally in person, I very happily and easily share my story with no problem. I think that my story of how I got started and how I became successful is not normal. And, but it is proof that you can do anything even in some pretty crappy circumstances. And I realized the fact that I wasn't telling my story to an individual was part of the thing that was holding me back. It was really hard to just talk into a microphone all about myself and how I accomplished this because it felt too much like just bragging. So I asked my friend JP who is in the beginning stages of his writing career, who would have the most useful questions as we're talking about the beginning stages of my career to interview me. So that's what you're getting today. JP Douglas is interviewing me about how I got started when I was next to homeless, less than $0 in the bank and had just lost my job, had just had a baby, had moved in with my parents, with my husband, dogs, and child, and succeeded in self-publishing. So I hope this is useful. I hope you enjoy it. And I plan on putting together some resources for self-publishing when broke. It may be just a podcast and a checklist, but we'll see. Your origin story is crazy, and I would like to hear a little more of it. So from what I know, um, at the time that you decided to self-publish, you were homeless, and uh, you didn't have a penny to your name. Uh, so what made you decide to pursue self-publishing publishing, over getting uh, a nine-to-five at the time? Well, I was pursuing nine-to-fives, um, but I'm pretty sure I was self-sabotaging, like, because I didn't want to go back. Um... 
let's see. There wasn't any question in my mind whether I was going to self-publish or not. I'd been pursuing self-publishing or been studying self-publishing, not actively pursuing as I'm a fringer um, wanting but not doing uh, for years. Uh, I mean, since since the Kindle came out, since that was a thing, um, I wanted to be a writer since I was a kid and just always very aware and studying the market constantly, even before self-publishing was a thing. Um, thankfully, I wasn't actually homeless. I was next to homeless. Um, what had happened was we had a crazy year. I was still with my um, ex-husband at the time and we got pregnant. Um, two months later, he decided, we decided um, for him to take a job in the States um, to see if he wanted to get back into his old line of work. And from decision to moving was about 19 days, which is kind of how we roll. Um, so we went back to the States for about, it was from January to end of July, September, no, my months are wrong. It was beginning of July and anyways, sometime in July, doesn't matter. Details. Um, so I came back, had my son, which was its own crazy story. And then I had mostly off for three months. I'd saved up for my own maternity. I was a freelance software developer at the time. And then three days after I started back full time, they're like, and we're letting you go. I was a contract worker, so they could do that. And then two months later, they let go of all their remote workers, which I knew was coming, but they had to line up severance for all of them. Still a little bitter that I got cut out of that loop. And so we tried to make things work. I was applying, but I had a new baby. Um, and I was exhausted and alone most of the day going crazy. Um, my most, I can remember my most miserable day of my life, 100%. Um, well, maybe until like the whole relationship falling apart. But the most miserable day until that, uh, my kid was like six or seven months old. And he just was only happy if he was interacting with me like I couldn't set him down like he had to be touching me I was exhausted hadn't slept that night and so I let him lay on me kicking my face because it was the only thing he was happy doing that didn't involve some participation from me mm -hmm. um so I was having a really hard time trying to apply for jobs trying to build up new skills to be really um attractive to new jobs but I also had formatted my resume in a unique way because it's like I don't want to get hired by the same kind of comp miserable company I just left so I'm like trying to attract the perfect um employer and you know most employers didn't want it's unique which is fine because four months later still no job we have exhausted our savings maxed out our credit cards and I'm like we literally have enough money to get back to the States if we go now and like move in with my family. If we don't go now, we're stuck. And then we will be <laughs> living underneath, uh, you know, a beach palm tree eating coconuts, uh, which isn't terrible. Like you could totally survive on that, but it's kind of like not awesome with a baby and mosquitoes and all that fun stuff. So we did, we flew back to the States and I'd written this little it's novella like two years before it was terrible of course at the time I thought it was fine um 
And I, I got to New York. This is the very end of March. And um, a friend of mine was like, hey, I just discovered this new little genre, um, little niche genre on Amazon. Have you ever read? And I was like, oh, yeah, I've read. I've actually read a lot of that. Um, and my, my little story will fit if I just change a couple things. I'm like, well, why don't we, you know, we've talked about co-writing before. Why don't we like publish that and then like, you know, write some other stuff and, and just kind of see where that goes. And I've been following self-publishing for forever. So I know, knew, um, and still, this is even more true that you don't make any money on your first book generally. Um, hundred percent, there are exceptions and I turned out to be one. So I published this book. Um, I had done my own cover. I, it was terribly, terribly edited. Um, cause I edited it. And so I spent $0 on it, um, other than whatever, um, resources I had at the time, which were Photoshop and a giant stockpile of deposit photo credits, um, which is a stock photo site. And so I created this all on my own and I published it and then just left it. And we were like, yeah, once we get like three books out or something, then we'll start promoting. But when I went and looked at the KDP dashboard, I'd sold about $20 worth um, in 24 hours. And I knew that was not normal at all. So I, I called my friend. And I was like, yo, like, this is insane. Look at this. And she's like, yeah, wow, we need to jump on that. So we did, we wrote two more books, um, very short books that month. One was 16 K and the next one might've been 40 K. And I actually looked it up. I published that first book on the 5th of April and it made $1,300 that month. Um, and so we just, and I did everything wrong, everything wrong. Um, the title on the cover had been just, um, some made up title that I had made it when I had created the cover months before. And then I forgot to change it to what the actual title was. We didn't research the, um, author name that we decided to use and it turned out that already existed and we couldn't claim the Amazon author page. So we threw in an initial to make it different. Um, and I didn't have uh, any kind of mailing list thoughts. So I quick hurried to fix all of that. Um, and I told my husband, I was like, this is it. Like, this is so not normal. Like if I run at this hundred percent, like this is my new career. And I'm, I'm like, it's what I've always wanted to do. And I'm done with programming, which I still love programming, but I don't like programming for other people. And so I, he was like, well, we need to get to a point where, you know, our baseline at that point of like what we need to make to pay our debts and survive with a baby was $3,000. He's like, we need, you need to be able to get to $3,000 in a month before like you can stop looking for jobs. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair but I really don't want to do that because I know that this is hundred percent the right way to go. So I was very resentful <laughs> and I did still, I did have some interviews, but again, I was, I was kind of self-sabotaging because I just didn't want to do it. Um, and it was throwing just hours and hours on the writing. In the second month I hit $3,000 of income and I, I don't think I've dropped below that since. Um, the price of that has been a lot of books published really fast. So I have had burnout a lot um and i'm working on fixing that as we're going forth into the future right and so uh, from what you've told me you're kind of switching gears and changing into different genres um 
what kind of made you decide to make that switch and what are you kind of learning as you're making those switches? Yeah, I, the switches out of like what I, you know, aligning with what I really, really love. Uh, romance has taught me a lot. I was not an emotionally focused writer um, to, to, to a detrimental level. Like I think that people can be non-emotional writers like Isaac Asimov um, and be successful, but they max out on a different quality, which for Asimov, his ideas, his, his prose is, you know, forgettable, but his ideas are magical. And I didn't necessarily have the magical ideas. Um, so I 100% appreciate fulfill, like, uh, not fulfilling, um, expanding or whatever uh, my skills. And the thing that I respond with in books is emotion, what they make me feel. I think that the majority of readers um, relate to books on an emotional level. Um, not everyone, clearly, but the majority. And so that's part of my alignment is getting into genres that more align with the emotions that I'm super, super interested in, which is um, adventure, um, betrayal. One of the hardest things about romance on many levels um, is that it is, has extremely strong emotional expectations. Um, and you have to meet those expectations for the readers to feel satisfied. And a lot of people dismiss it as formulaic, um, but the reality is, is that it's insanely hard to write an emotionally satisfying story um, or to learn to write an emotionally satisfying story that matches the extremely strict expectations the readers have. Um, there's a lot more emotions that I wanna explore that romance doesn't really leave as much room for you can absolutely do it there are readers there are authors who do it um but that's less my interest and so science fiction fantasy i can't write contemporary i've tried i've done it with co-writers it's the only way i can do it um it makes me feel so boring so i need if i'm writing contemporary there needs to at least be explosions but i like i need aliens i need magic i need other kinds of creatures just everything that does not exist and I wish it did. Um, that's my wish fulfillment. So science fiction fantasy. Um, I'm working on a cozy right now, which is another really strict genre expectation. Um, genre, strict expectation. Strict expectation genre. Words, um, we're good at them as writers. So it is really interesting stepping into that. And I think actually that has been a helpful segue into the grander world of sci-fi and fantasy because I've kind of felt overwhelmed by choices as I've um, approached the the one project I have. It's a solo project, it's science fiction. I'm like, this can literally go anywhere and that is overwhelming. Um, so cozy, I am I'm struggling through learning that those genre expectations, but enjoying that there are the, the expectations so that I can so that I can know whether I meet them or not, which is a good segue. I, my original thought when I started writing it was that since I'm all in KU pretty much with the romance and my, my more like strict science fiction and fantasy, I intend on being fully wide. And my original thought when I approached Cozy Mystery was, well, this will give me a non-romance genre that amplifies the things I do want to write about, minimizes the things I don't want to write about, 
that does really well in KU, and so I can pump them out quickly. I have failed to pump them out quickly. Um, I failed to uh, realize how much learning um, I have to do for the genre, how burned out I really have been. Um, and as I've, I've um, come to a understanding with my, with my romance, um, side of my business, like, okay, this is what your purpose is and this is how we're going to interact. Um, I felt less of a need to push it into KU. So I'm not really sure what I will do with that. Um, I, I really do want to move away from pumping out books. I have published over 50 books in, um, not quite three and a half years. And that's a lot with co-writers, but that's been over an average of a book a month. Um, and that's too much for me. And my ideal is like four books a year, which to some people sounds like a lot and some people sound so small. And I'm like, that would make me so happy to know that I have time to work on my books, time to deepen my books in a way that I like. And, and part of that understanding has come from Becca Symes class and just understanding like what's my ideal way of interacting with my work versus like what's my capacity my capacity can be pretty high for a while um, but then I hit burnout more often so you've mentioned a, a few times that you work with uh, co-writers what does that process look like and how does that kind of work with your process and how has you kind of learned from that as well yeah, it's different with every um, every co-writer. My first co-writing relationship, we didn't plot. Um, my co-writer did never plots. She doesn't like it. And it makes her feel stifled. And that did cause some problems in our relationship. Um, not the problems that ended the co-writing relationship, but um, that was definitely problematic. So now I, that one thing I learned is that when I do work with a co-writer, I, I want to an outline. I won't work with a co-writer without an outline. It just helps manage um, both of our expectations. Um, my second co-writer, who has turned out to be um, one of my best writing friends and uh, dearest life friends, um, and I wrote our, f I feel like we did write our first few books without outlines. Um, we were both in really um, dark emotional places at the time. I had just lost my dog that I had um, adopted like two months after I got married. She had some health stuff and deaths in her family. And I was like, let's just write something to distract ourselves. So it was a different tone from any of the stuff either of us had written. And, um, and we were just, and we didn't have any expectations of it. So we we're completely ridiculous over the top um it was the format was um kind of a, like a military team doing missions um and saving people and falling in love and so you know talk about formula like we've got that formula down we have written over 20 books in that series or in that world we have several series um and so our our patterns pretty solid um we know we'll pick like a number of chapters generally between 12 and 16 just kind of like what do we have time for because it takes each of us a day to turn a chapter around so we can get two chapters done a day between the two of us 
And we have done faster, but we don't prefer it because that means that we're working asynchronously. Um, where she, like she's working on a chapter, I'm working on a chapter, we haven't read how they connect yet and then we have to fix it. But we have the outline, so it's possible. Um, and we'll sit, we'll have a call. Um, generally takes us about two hours. We sit down and we're like, okay, this is what happens in chapter one. This is what happens in chapter two. Um, this last time was actually the first time we jumped around. I'm like, wait, I'm having trouble like seeing like what's gonna happen here in the middle. So let's jump to the end. We know what happens in the end. Um, there's, you know, very specific things that we have in, in this series that happen. Um, like there's a ceremony that the family does every time. And then we jumped around to the middle, but that's the first time we've done that. Um, with another friend, we hired somebody to write us an outline. We're like, here's our basic world building of the kind of world that we want to write in. Um, can you flesh us out in, in a world in an outline? And that was a lot of fun because we got to focus on deepening in the text more um, because the, the person we hired is actually my friend Tammy Valdura, who I have a, a different co-writing project going on in science fiction and fantasy or sci-fi sci with dragons. We're very excited. Um, I feel like proud mama. Uh, and Tammy is just one of those deep, deep world building people who that's the part she loves. Um, and I, I, I love the drafting, the deepening of the prose. So we're hoping that we're a really good match as we go through this um, project together. And um, the, one of the most interesting parts for me in the co-writing relationships is not necessarily like what happens, you know, with the plotting and the writing itself, but with the editing, because that's where egos come into play and you learn what your other, um, what your partner finds acceptable. Um, one of my co-writers she will own, and, the, and she expects the same from me, she will only make a comment if she has a, has a big enough like problem with it that she thinks it absolutely needs to be changed. Um, and I, it has actually taken me like a year to, to suss that out. Um, and so she, she had a lot of, like, cause I would, uh, I would reject some of her suggestions sometimes because my approach was like, we're just throwing all our best stuff in there, but it's up to the other person to agree or disagree. And that's totally fine. Um, and for me, that comes from the a code review background with software development. Like you get over your ego pretty quickly when everybody's tearing your stuff apart or you don't survive. <laughs> um, and so now I do extremely minimal editing on her chapters and just trust that her editor will catch anything that, you know, needs, needs to be handled. Um, but yeah, so she had just a lot of hidden resentment um, that she wasn't expressing because we were operating on completely different um, paths and expectations. Um, so I've adapted a lot to her um, expectations just because I don't have the ego. I, I have I have the smaller ego to be honest, um, and I'll fight for the things that I feel strongly about. Um, but other than that, I'm just like, hey, commas and missed quotation marks. Like we'll let that go. And then another co-writer and I would tear each other's scenes apart, um, and 
I loved that. Um, I was very cautious going into that, going like where, and we had that conversation beforehand to set the expectations because of what I'd learned. Like, where are you on this? How comfortable are you? What kind of, of invasiveness are you comfortable with me having on your chapters? I'm very comfortable with invasiveness. Um, because, and especially because we have both been reading each other's stuff for a while, um, just to, you know, being in the same genre together. So we had that comfort um, there. And I was like, our styles match fairly well. Um, and she had a very strong um, emotional skill. And um, I had a very strong action scene skill. And so there were definitely scenes where one or the other of us would almost nearly rewrite the other's scene just because we were working in our lesser skill. And we had so much comfortableness with, with going deep and going rough. And that was awesome. I really appreciate that too. But it's just like that expectation between individual writers. I... So I mentioned my co-writing experience or my co-writing project with Tammy Valdura and she has written a, a very extensive outline with world building um, and I'm doing the first draft and I messaged her a few weeks ago or a week or two ago and I was like, hey, I realize that I'm having a block as I'm going to write this draft and that I don't know what your... Um, your pass through is going to look like and with every other co-writer we've exchanged chapters and this is the first time where I'm doing the full first draft it's like can you hit up that first scene I've done and give it an edit pass so that I can see what it's going to look like because if I have a weakness in my writing and I know that you're really strong in it I will push myself less hard to get that part right because I know you've got my back on it. And so she did, and I haven't had a chance to sit down and go through it, but um, that's part of that learning process is analyzing like what you need from your co-writer and communicating it. I mean, communication is key with co-writing. If you can't communicate with someone, you're in for a lot of pain, possible panic attacks, ends of friendships. Um, it's only happened once, but it was <laughs> rough. Very nice. Um, how was the self-publishing industry when you started? And how have you noticed it changed now that you're kind of going into these other genres? Hmm. So three years. On my end... It doesn't feel like it's changed very much. The niche I'm in seems, it is it is definitely harder for newbies in any genre to pop up with a terribly edited book um, and succeed, which I think is a good thing. Um, but people are still popping up and making $500 their first month. Um, and particularly in my little niche. Um, I actually did write a book in another genre, um, co-write a book in another genre with um, someone and just to see if it would take off because it's a hot new genre. I was like, hey, like it has a lot of elements that um, you and I both enjoy. Let's explore it. And, and 
you know, with no brand new name, you know, good editing, you know, we had the whole nine yards. We made $400 that month on that book, which was right within my expectations, uh, but not my hopes. And we haven't been able to get uh, to finish the second book in that series because of my burnouts. Um, but I, there's just still so much opportunity. Um, I have tried advertising a couple of times and I've never spent more than like $50 on a book. So there's probably part of the reason it hasn't worked for me. But my niche is also just so small that most readers know, have heard of like the top 20 authors at some point. Um, and I would say that my co-writer in that genre is the top author. Um, and so people have absolutely heard of me because they've read our books together. And, oh, where was I going with this? Um, no idea. Oh, so the advertising hasn't been necessary. Um, you know, we have really strong mailing lists. Readers respond really well to um, freebie giveaways. Um, and those have been just as interactive in my mailing list as organic um, additions. So I think that what I see is more and more viability for wide um, and more and more difficulty to get noticed in KU. I think KU caters to um, writers and readers who work fast, whether they publish fast, they read fast. And while I am in that game, I want to get out of that game. And so that's why a wide methodology um, is appealing a lot more and more to me. And that doesn't mean that I won't ever go into KU, um, but I would really like to get away from the dependence on one company. Um, one month uh, right after I moved back to Costa Rica, I, it was my biggest payment from Amazon ever, uh, but I had just changed over to a business bank account and I'd done it right when they were issuing payments. And so half of my payments got lost in the oh, ether no. and I was counting on that money to live on. Um, thankfully it only took them 10 days of me harassing them to get it back. But that's, that's terrifying. Like, you know, that one payment doesn't come through and I'm screwed. Um, and I really want to get away from that. Yeah. Um, so I've heard this on a few podcasts and I'd like to get your take, uh, with you going into sci-fi fantasy and cozy mystery, are you going to keep your author name if for all three of those genres? Or are you going to have a different author name for each of those? I'm going all in on one name, uh, a la Christine Catherine Rush and Dean Leslie Smith. Um, I have managed a couple or attempted to manage a couple of email lists simultaneously. And um, I can't even manage one email list, honestly. Um, right now I have an assistant who does it. I'm like, yo, like this is the thing we have to promote this week. And then she just ninjas it all together and saves my life. She saves my life in a lot of realms. Um, if anybody needs a good uh, VA, I have one. Contact me, I'll get you her info. And yeah, I, 
I plan on doing some serious segmentation of my list. Um, I know that that doesn't necessarily mean that I will be able to control like my also bots by using that segmentation. I know that Lindsay Brokers had a lot of issues with, you know, all of her books showing up in all of her also bots because her fans love her. Um, good problem to have. And that's another reason for going wide because the other storefronts don't have that recommendation engine the same way. Theirs is more managed. So yes, Amazon comprises most of the ebook industry currently. And that's where most authors get the majority of their income, even when they're wide. But I, I'm not going to worry about working towards Amazon, Amazon's algorithm, Amazon's algorithm, because that could change at any moment too. Um, and I want to build a steady and consistent business that doesn't require constant pivots. Um, we all have to make changes to adjust to the industry. That's inevitable, but I want a business that's steadier um, and requires less of me <laughs> so that I can focus on the creative part of it. And I, I think that one name wide will do that. Um, so completely selfishly, what does a day, uh, in the life of Chris look like? I'm curious to know, uh, what kind of schedule do you have or don't have? I don't have lately. Um, I used to be extremely scheduled. Um, I had to be, um, with my ex and my kiddo, but what I do have this basic schedule in that I wake up somewhere between 4.30 and 7. Seven's sleeping in for me. I actually set an alarm for this um, because I don't normally have anything that happens before 8. And because I don't have a consistent time that I wake up, I was like, well, I need to make sure that I wake up before 6 because it's 6 my time that we're meeting and not 6.30. Uh, but I woke up at 5, so we're fine. I hate setting alarms. It's the worst. So alarms are the worst. No alarms unless you have uh, a meeting because somebody's crazy and further uh, east than I am and or a flight to catch. Like that's literally the only time I set an alarm. And then my kiddo um, goes with the nanny at between eight and nine. It depends on the day whether his dad has him or I have him. So Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday mornings, I have no kiddo. And so I tend to roll out of bed and work. And I work until, I don't know, seven, eight, get breakfast. Um, the kiddo comes to my house, the nanny comes to my house. And I hang out with them for about an hour. And then I try and get myself into working. Didn't have to use to get myself into working. I'm kind of a workaholic. And... Um, so right now I have really been struggling with setting a schedule um, because I have a lot of openness. I have a lot of free time. I'm trying to recover from burnout. So I'm trying not to like just push myself straight into work a hundred percent of the time. Um, but I have been considering like whether I just need to be like, okay, like these are your two hours to write. And then you have to go, I don't know, to the beach or something like do some, go ha you have to go some, do something 
you know, terrible, right? Um, and as we've been, you know, loosening up with Corona down here, you know, setting uh, coffee dates for fans. So like, okay, you have to get work done before you go do that. Trying to set up external things that purposefully crunch in my writing time so that I prioritize it. Um, but I've only just started doing that, so I ha can't tell you how effective it is. Well, I'd like to hear more eventually when I <laughs> get around to setting that in. Um, I think as a last question, uh, can you kind of give us a peek behind the curtain? Tell us what you're working on and what kind of projects you have coming out? Yeah, so um, for, I, we'll keep the romance to the side, super secret, all that fun stuff. Um, but for science fiction and fantasy, I have um, The Cozy Mystery, which is paranormal um, with a witch with a sarcastic cat who doesn't like her as a familiar, uh, my little twist on it. And um, that's set in on an island in Georgia, the state, not the country. Then there's um, my solo sci-fi project, which I've kind of set aside indefinitely. And I actually was just talking um, to a life coach the other day, and I realized that most of the progress I made when I was working on that, I was writing by hand because I was able to take it outside of my work environment and make it a 100% creative thing. So I may need to print all that out, staple it into a notebook and go back to writing uh, by hand so that that becomes just the creative thing again. And then my uh, Sci-Fi with Dragons with uh, Tammy Veldura. And that is like epic space opera, um, multiple POV, and very different from anything that I have published. It's definitely some... Um, I've written in that style plenty as a younger teen twenties and never finished anything. Um, so it's exciting to get back into that um, expansive of a style of story. And it's very, very different because I've been writing in first person for the most part um, with the romance. And I like being able to jump into so many other people's heads and motivations. And um, it's a new challenge and I really, I'm enjoying it. Awesome. I'm super excited to uh, see these when they come out. Um, thank you for having me come on and ask these questions. I yeah, thank you. Uh, definitely jumped at it when you asked me because <laughs> I'm very interested to kind of learn where you are headed and where you've been because uh, I'm kind of in the similar boat to where you started. So now, can you tell people where they can find anything about you? Because I know that you have some stories and some anthologies. Mm -hmm. um, so how would they find that? And do you have a website yet? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a website. You can check me out at jpdouglas.org. Um, you can join the newsletter, which will hopefully have some free content coming up soon. So um, I've got a post-apocalyptic, a sci-fi, and an upcoming horror short out. So... Excellent. And yeah. those are um, the Jay Thorne anthologies yes. for the most part. Awesome. Correct. Yep. Cool. So you should be able to search JP Douglas on Amazon and the anthologies will pop up. All right. Thank you so much, JP. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me into your head this week. If you find the content I share useful, you can buy me a coffee at coffee.com slash Chris Kane. That's ko-fi.com slash C-R-Y-S-C-A-I-N. And don't forget to hit subscribe.